this is Craig Medaglia from the Wally Mathot Show. You are listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. going everybody welcome to the third line plug sensecast i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tim jesse tim how's it going sir it's going good going good work's been a bit busy other than that it's all good i'm gonna have a holiday party at the end of the week so i'm pretty excited about that excellent man excellent so what is like the like what kind of a christmas party or hollywood how oh. Holiday party. holiday party can you now do with COVID-19 in Alberta? Last I checked, you can do a maximum of 10 people, which is, it's enough. Okay, so you're pretty much just to do like the cream of the crop of your friends. And- yeah, we're going to have buds over pretty much. And we're going to celebrate the past, the anniversary of the passing of the Statute of Westminster. So Tim, I'm really excited to get together today, not only because we actually get to talk about some Ottawa Senator wins for once, Holy but... Shit. We've got a huge cover athlete, both in size and in name. Today's episode is Season 5, Episode 8, in chronological order, Episode 103. This is the Daniel Chara edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Daniel Chara. He was drafted 56th overall by the New York Islanders in 1996. He played parts of four seasons with the Islanders before being traded to the Ottawa Senators during the 2001 NHL Draft. He would spend four seasons with the Ottawa Senators recording 51 goals, 95 assists for 146 points in 299 games before signing with the Boston Bruins as a free agent in 2006. So, you know, Tim, I know a lot of people listening to this who are maybe newer hockey fans. They might not have any idea that Daniel Chara was actually an Ottawa Senator because of the fact that he played so long with the Boston Bruins. And he was an essential part of some excellent, excellent Boston Bruins teams, including the team that won the Stanley Cup in 2011 and the team that was one game away from winning it again back in 2019. Uh, it was two wins. Two wins. Oh, why did I think they went to game seven? But uh, that's what happens when you watch hockey in Japan. <laughs> Zidane Ochara has been a fixture of the league for so long and he was on, he led those Bruins teams, very good Bruins teams for over a decade. So it's very easy to miss the fact that Zidane Ochara was part of what is considered one of the most lopsided hockey trades in history. Oh, 100%. I mean, the fact that the Ottawa Senators got not only Zidane Ochara, but they got the second overall pick out of the Islanders, which turned to be Jason Spezza too, right? And it's funny talking about Spez here is we're talking about another guy who uh, after his career has started to 
fate like started to go into its twilight years he's moved on to a bunch of other teams as well uh, recently playing for the washington capitals in this season with the new york islanders as uh, zidane ochara is one of three players who are still around from a 1990s draft which is incredible god that god that makes me feel old i'm not even gonna lie to you tim yeah. that really really makes me feel old so, so i like, guess when sorry tim i was gonna say we're talking yeah. about zidane ochara's tenures in ottawa senator Two things really come up for me. Number one, I think the moment everybody remembers as his tenure as a senator was the game versus the Toronto Maple Leafs where he ragdolled Brian McCabe. Yeah, and if you want to talk about someone who deserved a ragdolling, Brian McCabe is definitely up there. Now, I think a little context has to be given for that moment because, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, okay, yeah, so Daniel Char ragdolled a guy. Brian McCabe was 6'3", Like, he was not a small guy. It's not like you're grabbing a Tyler Ennis or a Nathan Gerby and throwing him around. Yeah, yeah. You're throwing Brian McCabe, who was a big boy. But the fact that Daniel Chara was 6'9", 270, I think that really sticks out for a lot of people because, again, a lot of hockey players are not that big. A lot of guys were 6'2", 6'3", 215 pounds. But even for me, like, when... Before I became a Sens fan, Chara was definitely one of those guys from the Sens that I definitely remember because, you know, when you're, I don't know how, if you were the same way, but you know, when you're growing up and you definitely see athletes or media personalities or pop culture figures, you kind of would recognize something about them, whether it's a funny name or just the sheer thought that said Daniel Chara was six foot nine. Like you got to see that's an eye popping feature. But for me, even like with the Sens, like, yeah, obviously Daniel Albertson and Marin Hosa were great, but the sense of the early 2000s, when you guys, when you had guys like a Martin Havlat, Radek Bonk. I mean, what? who's not going to forget a name like Radek Bonk? Yeah. And then you have the biggest player to ever play in the NHL on their team. And what's incredible is like Zdeno Chara is huge. Absolutely massive. Like, remember, he's six foot nine off his skates. Mm-hmm. so he's almost seven feet tall on the ice right well it's funny my cousin saw him with the bruins in edmonton and he says watching chara on skates was like if i was to stand up straight and he was to climb on my shoulders on his knees yeah that's how but, tall so daniel chara was like it's actually incredible and uh it's just really fun watching someone like that who frankly he had a lot more skill than you think he would like he was a very talented player and was very surprisingly agile for his size. And one of the things that uh, Char is known for is he was able to, sorry, his off-season training regimen included wrestling, like straight up Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah. I mean, honestly, who would take that on though? Who would, who would take on a six foot nine NHL player? I don't know, but, uh, I kind of want to see if I could dig up clips of that because that would be incredible to watch. And yeah, well, I was going to say, it's even funny because when Chara first came to Ottawa, a lot of the guys on the team, they first saw this guy, you know, again, six foot nine. He hadn't really fully grown into his body. And he put every dead, like every weight plate, he put it on the bar and he just started pressing like nothing. He says he single-handedly outlifted everybody on this team he's like it, this guy was an animal 
yeah, and you see it on the ice where he could just put in his prime. He would, it, you could not stop the man. Nope. No, you couldn't. And I mean, again, who could really stop a six foot nine player on skates, right? Yeah, no kidding. And one of the things that I think should also be said about Zidane Ochara is his character, great character guy, especially in Boston as captain, where he just outlawed hazing in the Boston dressing room. Him and Patrice Bergeron. Him and Bergeron, yeah. And that's just the big thing is once you're on the team, you're part of the team. We're not doing this shit. Yep. And that's such a great thing to be a part of and to push forward. And that's the sort of positive changes that every sport should get behind, really. Well, I guess and we're now seeing that too, right? When you hear about what was going on with Akeem Aliyu and some of these players that have come out in the past. But even talking about him off the ice, like, so Daniel Char is a really smart individual. And I'm not sure if you can look this up, but is he not a real estate agent or he got his business degree from Algonquin College, if I'm not mistaken? Something like that. Yeah, because he's a pretty smart dude. A lot of people were saying that. And I, I know you can quickly look this up. But while you're looking this up, Tim, I do want to comment the one thing about Chara's tenure in Ottawa it is a, it was it was his departure from the Sens was really the first big mistake the Senators made of re-signing Wade Redden and letting him walk in the end. It's such a difficult thing to say because I don't think anyone saw Wade Redden just plummeting the way he did. Like, remember that the New York Rangers then signed Wade Redden to a massive contract just to bury him in the AHL. Yeah, but the funny thing was, is that you can kind of see him even declining when they had Chara. Like, even in, the, in that last year where that that really where, where was that? It was really, okay, do we keep Redden or do we keep Chara? And I think the Senators, in retrospect, I think they would have kept Chara. It, had they known Wade Redden was going to cl- just crater into the earth like he did. Yeah, because, like, there's a difference between a gentle decline and a cratering, right? Yeah, so here's some other stuff about just kind of how intellectually impressive Zidane Ochara is. Uh, he speaks six languages mm-hmm. uh, outside of his own, so seven total. He speaks Slovak, Czech, Polish, Swedish, Russian, German, English, and Sloven. Uh, Sloven being his, sorry, Slovak. Uh, he doesn't speak Sloven, my bad. And uh, he has a financial diploma, financial planning diploma from Algonquin College and he is licensed to sell real estate in Massachusetts. Damn. I really hope that when he retires, can you imagine he goes into real estate in Boston? Come on, who wouldn't buy a house off a former Bruin captain? Yeah. And then after that, he could use the tagline, the biggest name in Boston. There you go, man. See, he's perfect. He should go into real estate after his career is over. It'd be great. I mean, already thinking about it. So, Tim, even though Sedano Chara is our big name cover athlete for this week, we got to plug next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is Season 5, Episode 9, in chronological order, Episode 104, the lone career senator, Mr. Chris Phillips, is our cover athlete for next week's episode. I want to see a big rig episode. We're going to do a big rig episode. And hopefully next time in Ottawa, I'll actually make time to go out to big rig. Yeah, even though you're not a drinker, I'm sure they've got a, what, a little restaurant or something out of there, don't they? I, I'm pretty sure they're a group pub of some sort. 
Also, breaking kayfabe, Batherson just sniped a top shelfer to tie the game at once. It's because you wore the jersey, isn't it? It's because I got my Batherson jersey here. Oh, so good. So good, man. We love it. We do. What what the all what the listeners also love to know, Tim, every single week is how was your week? It's been good. I kind of mentioned it at the beginning of sorry, at the end of the podcast last week, but I went to a Flames game. I heard about this. Now, of course, you went to the Calgary Flames Pittsburgh Penguins game, which the Calgary Flames won in a shootout, if I'm not mistaken. My girl was telling me all about it because yeah. she's a Flames fan. Now, talk to talk to me a little bit about the game, Matt. Like, first of all, how well, how did you get the tickets anyway? Was it a so, coworker, a friend of yours that had? Yeah. So basically, what happened is I was I was just working at home, right? And I got a text from my buddy. He's like, "Hey, uh, I just got free tickets to the Flames game for my parents, and do you want to go?" I'm like, "Sure." So I was like, "Hey," I texted you pretty much. Me, I was like, "Hey, can we shift the podcast back a few hours?" You're like, "Yeah, let's do her." And then I did that quickly ate dinner, went to the, and went to the flames game. And it was a really weird game to watch. It was very slow pace. Like it was fast paced. It should have been a flames blowout. Except Tristan Jari really showed you why Tristan Jari is the starter in Pittsburgh. Cause he stole that game right until the shootout. Like there were, incredible chances that Calgary was getting and it was a full team effort by the flames. And while Pittsburgh just kind of seeded the ice mm-hmm. until uh, they scored kind of a weird, a weird goal on uh, Mark, sorry, on Markstrom there. And which was a little annoying for obvious because it, because it ruined his shutout, which knocked two points off me in our fantasy hockey. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay. The game itself, like, it got a lot more interesting in the the three on three, and then the shootout went seven rounds. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, lo- pretty long game. Good time overall, then. Yeah. It, it's the game started to sag a lot in the second period, but it got a bit more interesting in the third. Okay, that's not bad though. You know, because honestly, live hockey is always such a good thing to go watch regardless of who's playing, right? Like even mm-hmm. a few years ago when I saw the Canucks play and they played Columbus. Yeah, it would have been Columbus because Panarin and Bobrovsky were playing that night. Nice. And yeah, it was actually Thatcher Demko's first game. And I think they ended up winning that game, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a pretty good one though. Yeah, no, it's always good to catch a, game, a real game. And uh, well, I know both of us have tickets for the Sens here. Uh, when they come in, January. I want to say January, yeah. Yeah, because I when do they play the Flames? Is it the tenth? The tenth or eleventh? I'll yeah, have to check my calendar. Yeah, because they play this they play the Canucks on the eighth. Cause I know because Katrina and I are gonna go to that game. So that should be Oh, good. you managed to get a second ticket? Well, I had two tickets anyway, right? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was gonna take my dad originally and then he had to back out. So I asked Katrina if she wants to go. She said, Yeah, and here we are. Nice. Yeah, so she'll actually get to see you know, a good Kachuk play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to hear so much shit from that, though. I really am. That's yeah, okay, no though. kidding. So I'll recap my week a little bit, Tim. Now, one thing that really exciting happened yesterday. So I mentioned this on the podcast last week. 
I ordered Far Cry 6 off Amazon. Yep. Finally came in. Uh-huh. Haven't even played it yet. It's still sitting in the case right here. It's just in the box. Yeah. Like, I've taken it out of the wrapping. I've installed it and everything. But, yeah, I bought that, and I bought the newest Madden just because, again, kind of like the NHL games, I just want to be, a, like, the fantasy GM. I just want to kind of fuck around with the game and yep. not necessarily play it, but I just want to be an armchair GM, and I'm currently rebuilding the Denver Broncos. So Nice. Yeah, it's it's, but it's not the Dallas Cowboys. It's not the Dallas Cowboys, but it's a start. Oh, <laughs> actually, it's funny. Okay, so this brings me into why I chose the Denver Broncos. So because I have Disney Plus, I was binge watching The Simpsons. Right. Spoiler alert. So you watched the Scorpio episode. I watched the You Only Move Twice episode. One thing that really came to my attention when I was rewatching the episode was, you know, the end of the episode where Hank Scorpio, it, it's not a spoiler. It's fucking over 25 years old. Yeah. Homer Simpson ends up with the Denver Broncos at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Hank Scorpio takes over the Eastern seaboard. Yeah. Which two things that really stick to me in this one. Number one, I, I was always kind of confused why Homer didn't want the Denver Broncos but then again, I realized that all the playoff failures they had in those years and couldn't get over the hump. But I realized something, though, Tim. Yeah. Had Homer Simpson held on to the Denver Broncos, he would be a three-time Super Bowl champion right now. <laughs> because right after that episode happened, the Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls. That's actually incredible. <laughs> they did. They won back-to-back, and then they won a third with Peyton Manning. <laughs> And at the same time, wasn't there a very strong Denver color, sorry, Denver, uh, Dallas rivalry during the nineties? Uh, yes and no. Uh, just because the Cowboys are in the NFC and the Broncos were in the AFC at the time. Definitely right. when it comes to the nineties rivalries, it would have been the 49ers and the Cowboys. The Broncos definitely had their rivalry, but it was more with like the chiefs and the Raiders and to a, well, I guess the lesser extent, the Seahawks too, but yeah, definitely of the 90s, it would have been more the Niners and Cowboys, yeah, but yeah. still a good one. But I guess the, and I think it's kind of funny because there was the episode where they relocated because Sancho Bob wanted to kill Bart. And they're like, yep, we'll give you a new identity and everything. And Homer goes, ooh, ooh, I want to be John Elway. <laughs> but it's funny because that, the, the reference that are made there when, yeah, when Homer ran in for the touchdown as John Elway. Two things that's really funny about that is that, number one, if you saw the scoreboard right after that, it's just 49ers 55, Broncos 7, which is a reference to one of the Super Bowls of the 80s that Elway played with the Broncos against the 49ers where they got blown out like 55 to 10. But also, the Simpsons also predict John Elway running in for a touchdown during the Super Bowl too, <laughs> which happened in the seconds of the back-of-the-backs. <laughs> Uh, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Now, one more thing I got to mention is it's not something I brought up on the podcast, but it's something I was talking with you off air was that I was talking about these running shoes I have now, because I have a treadmill, I've been running and it's been really hurting my feet. I just like, fuck, why is it hurting so much? And you're just like, yeah, you should probably buy some new ones because the toe was like curved at such an angle. It just looked like elf shoes. Yeah. So I bought some, what the hell? I don't think they're Adidas. I think they're Nikes. So I have to try them out tomorrow and see how they do. Oh shit. Just do it. 
Yep. You know what I'm also going to do, Tim? Is segue into this little segment I like to call Top of yeah. the Hour. Nice. By the way, a note for the listeners out there. Did anybody notice the brand new Peace Tower Bells that we used? Because I never got any feedback on that. It just happened to so because, spoiler alert, I had to record it on my laptop last week. I had to just find a random Peace Towers clip from YouTube, and that's the one that came up. And honestly, it sounds better. So I think we're going to be rolling with that for now. We're going to keep it? Yep. Just like we're going to be keeping Ovi Watch in top of the hour. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin recorded his 750th goal versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. Ovechkin is now 17 goals behind Yarmer Yager for third overall on the all-time goals list. And I think he might have another goal tonight. So uh, he's getting closer, and he's probably catching Yager this season, in all honesty. Well, I mean, it's going to happen. I mean, and again... How many times can we really mention it, right? I mean, uh, no. Obi has no goals in this game. He's got one assist. Oh, he doesn't? Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's going to be exciting, man. Like, it's we're going to have to keep this in top of the hour for sure for the rest of the season because he's going to catch. He's definitely going to pass Yager. He might catch Gordie Howe by the end of the season. Do you think we see a 100-goal season in the NHL? That'd be insane. I doubt it happens. It will. Nah, no, I don't. Because again, you got to realize like back in the day when Gretzky was scoring 92 and Steve Eisenman and all these guys were scoring all those goals. Goaltending, goaltenders just stood up and defense was lackluster. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, this is a big news story that I was going to include on last week's episode, but no official news had came up until this very week. Fenway Sports Group have announced they have entered into an agreement to acquire controlling interests of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Team owners Ron Burkle and Mary Lemieux will retain partial ownership in the club, as well as front office staff remaining on in their current roles. Okay. Quick comment, Tim. Yes. You know, in the things that we didn't see happen in 2021 bingo card... Did anybody have LeBron James owning the Pittsburgh Penguins? No. LeBron James is part of this ownership group. So LeBron James now owns a hockey team. Yep. Damn. I know. Crazy, right? But I honestly wonder, I wonder how come Mario and Ron Burko put the team up for sale. Was it just COVID, other factors? I, I didn't see, and I didn't even realize the team was even for sale. Well, I think what happens is note that they're retaining minority ownership. Mm-hmm. They probably just needed funds. Yeah. Because yeah, if they wanted out of the game entirely, yeah, they wouldn't have retained minority ownership. Perhaps they just, maybe it's something about the way that their asset books are built. They want to reduce exposure to the Penguins. That's also a possibility. Mm-hmm. So unless we get a news story about them about, yeah, this is why we sold it. We don't know because there's a lot of things it could be. It could be. And remember that these are private groups and like private owners, private groups, not publicly traded companies. 
they do not have to report publicly their asset positions, their equity positions, anything like that. Yeah. So we can't really know. Sure. Because they're not a publicly traded company, correct? No. So they have they have a reporting obligation, but they don't have a public reporting obligation. They would have an obligation to the government and their shareholders, whoever they may be. Okay, fair enough. So there is one story we'll talk about later on in top of the air talking about the Penguins. And I think it's kind of funny that Fenway Sports Group bought the team and then this news story came out because Mario Lemieux was always very vocal that he was not a fan of this idea, but we'll talk about that later, Tim. Hmm. So Tim, you know how for next week's episode, we're going to have a few firings to talk about this <laughs> week. We've got a firing to talk about and it's a big time firing for sure. Montreal Canadiens have fired GM Mark Bergevin after eight plus seasons. Bergevin, who was hired by the Habs in 2012 to be their GM, had led the Canadiens to six playoff berths, three division titles and a Stanley Cup finals appearance in 2021. So, Mark, on behalf of the Montreal Canadiens fans, we want to thank you for all your service, all your time, everything that you've met and done for this franchise. But with that being said, Mark Bergevin, you're fired! We didn't get to drop a lot of those last year. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. And in fairness, can I make one comment, though, because the Chicago Blackhawks fired Jeremy Colton? Note, I didn't do that. It would have been insensitive. Well, given what was going on in the Blackhawks organization, 100%. Yep. So I guess here's the thing with Bergeron. Sorry, Bergevin. You always got a, except for a few years where the Canadian, the quality of the Canadians play was just dumpster. You always got kind of a decent team, but it, it was only ever truly great when Carey Price was playing at his absolute best. And that's not good enough. It's not. But I think for me, the one thing when talking about Bergeron's tenure as a Montreal Canadian GM is they're just, I don't know how you feel. I just didn't feel like there was a clear direction where Bergeron wanted to take the Canadians. Because that's the thing, even with like the Peter Shirelli's, the Don Sweeney's of the world, you can kind of see somewhat of a clear direction of where they want to take these teams and where they want to go. Bergeron, it was never clear where exactly he wanted to take the Habs. Yeah, and I think one of Bergeron's great gills and great defects was he was a very flexible GM and was very adaptable, which he was able to realize something wasn't working and correct from it. Yep. But there didn't seem to be a clear vision, as you said. Some of the things that I think hockey history will look at on surprisingly happily is like the Weber for Saban one for one trade. Like at the time that looked bad. Yeah. It was a totally a high risk, high reward trade just because again, PK Subban was a superstar and Shea Weber. A lot of people thought he was on the down swing of his career at that time. Yeah. And it, I guess Bergevin must've seen the writing on the wall of Subban. Yeah. But it's funny, even talking about Bergevin and I'm not surprised this happened because again, there was talks earlier this season that him and the Habs were not, talking about a, a extension. So it was only a matter of time that he was going to be outed as yeah. Habs GM. But even with some of the acquisitions he made, like when you go down the list, like as you mentioned, Subban for Shea Weber, he landed Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. He brought these guys in, but there's always some misses in the, in the mix. There yeah. was always, of course, Victor Mette was a bit of a miss for the Habs. 
you look at some of the acquisitions that just didn't pan out for them. Like Max Domi. He was able to correct on Max Domi. Yeah, I think. Well, was Domi really that bad of a player in Montreal, though? That's season one, no. Season two, yes. But like that's the thing is like if you're having to course correct a lot, it's gonna cost you a lot. And the other thing that kind of a few things that Sunkberg event, one was just the drafting wasn't that great. And like that's kind of what separated Montreal from a team like and this is like even Boston, where they had that one draft that's notorious for three misses in a row. Yep. They still managed to get the hits where they needed to. Like you get guys in like like uh, Charlie McAvoy. So like they're able to get that to hit. Well, Montreal never really got that under Bergevin. The other thing that really kind of sunk Bergevin this season is they did absolutely nothing in the offseason to replace the loss of Philip Deneau, Shea Weber, and Carey Price. I cannot really blame the organization for not being able to replace Carey Price. No, that Kerry, was a shock to everyone. Well, I think the Carey Price one, I think everybody, yeah, it was a shock. But I, I think with the Habs, it was different because they had Jake Allen, they had Keaton Primo in the system. When it comes to Weber, the big thing for me is who would you have really re- required or acquired to replace him? That's the only thing. With the thing Dougie with the- Hamilton. They weren't going to get him, though. That that's was, true. They weren't going to get him in. You know, obviously I said Jersey was the team that's going to get him. Jersey's the one that got him. I think with Dan to know, I think the Habs really put a lot of stock into guys like Caulfield and Suzuki after the playoff run. So they felt when they lost Dan to know, it was more of a, okay, well, we lost Dan to know, but we have these two young guys who played great during the playoffs. They're going to come in, they're going to do this. And yeah, it's flatlined for them. Yeah, like. I think Shane Pinto in like three games has been more productive than Cole Caulfield has been this season. That's a shame. I I like Cole Caulfield. He just seems like such a nice kid. Yeah. It's just been a bad season for the guy. Uh, And that demotion to the AHL just didn't look, it probably wasn't that great for his confidence, especially when you have a guy like Mason Raymond, just sorry, not Mason Raymond. uh, Lucas Raymond. Lucas Raymond just flying to start the season. Yeah, it's true. And I think even talking about Bergevin's drafting, I mean, you could look at some of the misses, Galchenyuk, kind of a weird one because he, at times he did look like he had a lot of talent and a lot of upside, but the Habs just kind of didn't know what to do with him. The big one though, Kota Kekanemi over Brady. That's That's right there. If they had taken Brady third overall, I think the Habs would be in a way different situation today. Not only that, but then losing just Barry Kotkin, getting offer sheeted, like, sure, you're, like, you're in a pretty good place. Well, okay, you're in an okay place for a rebuild, to start a rebuild here, because you've got some young pieces, you've got some veterans, and now you've got some draft capital, so if you just bottom out, get a nice pick in the 2021 draft that you can slot in immediately, Carey Price comes back, you've kind of, you might be able to paper over a lot of the team's issues with a good draft. And not even paper it over, right? You're bringing in a lot of assets. You've got two firsts this year. Mm-hmm. Actually, I believe they have two firsts. Let me confirm that. Well, but, while you're doing that, Tim, I do want to make a comment, though, because of the Vancouver Canucks firing Jim Benning yesterday. 
there's talks Mark Bergevin might be the replacement in Vancouver for him. Montreal only has Carolina's first this year, so that's a little rough. Because they traded, they traded the first for Christian Dvorak. Oof. Oof. It's conditional. The better of Montreal or Carolina's first. But if either are top 10 picks, then Montreal will instead transfer Arizona the worst of the first-round picks. It is a top 10 protected pick, so that sucks. And I like Christian Dvorak as a player, but yeah, with the way the season panned out, that was the wrong time for this trade. Very much so. So we're going to move on to our next story, Tim. The Minnesota Wild will retire Miko Koivu's number nine during the game, during the team's game versus the Nashville Predators on March 13th. Koivu drafted sixth overall by Minnesota in 2001, spent 15 seasons with the Wild recording, 205 goals, 504 assists for 709 points in 1,028 games, while also serving as captain of the Wild from 2009 until his departure in 2020. Side note here, Miko Koivu, the younger brother of Saka Koivu, former hab captain. Now, let's talk about Miko Koivu. Because... Would it have been anyone else? That, and this is the funny thing. This is the funny thing about Miko Koivu, because when we were talking about Marin Gabrick in Minnesota, and I said, do you think Marin Gabrick will get his number retired? I would have assumed Marin Gabrick probably would have been the first guy to have his jersey retired, and that says a lot about Miko Koivu's very underrated career. The guy has 700 points, and I don't even think about him. Well, it's like, you know, all of those years where we had the Minnesota Mild, Miku Koivu is that identity. He is a guy who, no matter what you asked of him, he was steady, he was in the right place, and... He could throw in the offense too, but defense first was the name of the game for Miko Koivu. And he was probably the league's premier defensive pivot. And he was he was still a very effective player at generating offense at the same time. Like he is probably one of the league's unsung heroes from the 2000s on. It's funny talking about Miko because honestly, he kind of perfectly represented the Minnesota Wild franchise as a whole. Yep. He's a kind of a guy, very defensive minded, put up some points, completely forgotten by a lot of people. Because honestly, I think if you cast a casual hockey fan to name NHL teams, there's always one or two teams that you're going to forget about and not come to mind. I hate to say it, the Minnesota Wild is one of those teams. They're just, I don't want to say they're kind of there, but there was a lot of years, especially in the mid-2000s when they were a consistent playoff team, they really were just there. When the yeah. biggest acquisition, when the biggest thing they've done in the last 10 years was acquiring Suter and Parise, that's saying a lot. Although the thing about Suter and Parise that did make it a bit more interesting is that you were bringing home two of two pretty big stars at the time mm-hmm. back home. And that's a big deal. Well, it's also a big deal because you got to realize there were teams out there that were willing to give them more 
more money to go there. Detroit was offering more money. Chicago was offering more money. And both of them said, no, we're Which going to incredible because those were huge contracts that they signed and Minnesota's going to be paying for them for a while. I think those, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong. I honestly believe that's the contracts right there that forced the NHL to say, we're putting a cap on how long and how much money you guys can get your contracts signed to. Between that and Ovechkin. Ovechkin? Okay, well, that's right there. And a lot of people would say, wow, that's a crazy contract. Was there ever a guy who way outplayed that contract more than he did? I don't know, but the fact that you could sign a guy through basically his entire career. Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk. Oh, that that was a dirty contract. Holy yeah. crap. Or if you, you know, if you want to go real sideways, Rick DiPietro. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Is, I have to say, is the Rick DiPietro contract, is that the new Bobby Bonilla deal? For, for many baseball fans, there was a baseball player named Bobby Bonilla with the New York Mets for a long time. He got bought out by the Mets. And instead of paying them a sum of money, which I think it was like five or six million. I can't remember the money off the top of my head. It was like a big sum of money. Yeah. He says, the Mets went to him and says, okay, we'll give you a large sum right now, or we can pay you a deferred contract over 25 years with interest. He took the latter and the guy is getting paid close to $1.2 million every year until 2024 or something. He hasn't played a game in 20 years. That's what's amazing right there. Yeah. Well, I have to look up the DiPietro contract to see if DiPietro is actually still on salary. It might have finally ended. I think he is. I think 2027. I think he's on on the books for. Yeah, he's on the books until 2027. <laughs> Although it doesn't count Only a New York team. Only a New York team would this happen to, right? <laughs> oh. It's such an incredible contract. I love it so much. Yeah. Now, speaking of contracts that you may or may not love, we're going to talk about our next story. The New Jersey Devils have re-signed forward Jack Hughes to an eight-year, $64 million contract extension with an AAB, $8 million. Hughes, drafted first overall by New Jersey in 2019, had recorded two goals, one assist for three points in three games for New Jersey at the time of the story. Oh, Tay, we were wrong. What? The DPHO contract goes to 2029. Oof. Ouch. And I don't think he's played a game, like an actual game since uh, 2013. 2013. So he will be being played for almost 20 years of hockey he didn't play. Oh, I love sports. I really love sports sometimes. Now, okay, let's talk about this deal for a second because you really want to talk about a contract that is buying high and really hoping this pans out because if this doesn't pan out, this is a high risk, high reward contract for the devils. Because I said that talk to my cousin about this. He's a big devils fan. And I said, I don't think he's worth it. And he said the same thing. He says the devils are banking on the fact that they're hoping he can reach his potential, but that's a, that's a big, big, big investment right there for a guy who really has not proven. Now in fairness to Jack Hughes, He's been injured. Two things that hampered him. Injuries, COVID, and shortened seasons. Yeah, because here's the insane. He has played very well to begin this season. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
if this season is the norm and looking at his fancy stats, it's about the same as it was last year. Very, very good. Then this, this is a cool 8 million for New Jersey. You take this contract every day of the week. Now it's really nice about New Jersey and you know, I actually really like where the devils are going right now because they have a guy in McKenzie Blackwood in goal. You're putting a lot of emphasis on him being good. He's looking really good. Give him that. You signed Dougie Hamilton to a $9 million contract. That's a big one right there. Obviously PK is going to be off the team this off season, but up front, I mean, even the guys up front that they got, you know, from Pavel Zaka, Jack Hughes, who, who am I missing right now? There's another kid right there that I'm mentioning off the top of my head. Um, uh, God, no, I know who you're talking about. They yeah. just picked up Thomas Tatar, which is a nice Thomas pickup. Tatar. There's another big signing. Nico Heischer has Nico been Hersher, good. That's what I was thinking of. Thank you. I could not think of his name. So, yeah, I really like where the Devils are going. And I think that they're kind of a hybrid team. They're kind of a... Think of it this way, Tim, because, you know, when they were winning Stanley Cups, they were very much a defensive trap team. Yeah. Post-Cup years, you saw them really putting a lot of emphasis on offense. And that's when you saw Patrick Eliash. You saw it with Zach Parise. They brought in Ilya Kovachuk. You see a lot of the big names that they had in Jersey. Very talented offensively up front. And now they're kind of finding this middle ground where they have a really solid defense, really good goaltending, and they're finding offensive talent up front. And it's good to see because I, I want to see more kind of very like balanced or defensive teams in the NHL because watching good fundamentals is actually very legitimately fun to watch. And it's a very interesting game when you watch kind of these very fundamentally sound teams play against these offensive dynamos and just see, okay, what's going to happen next? Who's going to break through next? And it's very, very fun to watch. So we're going to move on to talk about at trade him, the Chicago Blackhawks have traded Malcolm Zuban to the Buffalo Sabres in exchange for future considerations. Zuban, drafted 24th overall in 2012 by the Boston Bruins, had recorded a 2-2-1 record with a .893 save percentage for the AHL's Rockford Ice Hogs this season. Talking mm-hmm. about P.K. Subban, Malcolm Subban is just one of these guys who for whatever reason, just never got off the ground. That's a guy I think a lot of people had to really some ex- really good expectations, but it just seemed like at any level he ever played in, he was good, but not great. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Chicago last year and this year sucks. Yeah, it doesn't help, obviously. No, and Malcolm Subban, it's at 28, you're getting to the age where even for a goalie, people start looking at you kind of strange. Yeah. You know? Well, and I was even looking funny of him during the world junior years that he played because I remember even my dad and I were saying this, like, this guy sucks. Like, he was, he was, he played terrible in those world juniors. I will never understand why people really honestly thought he was going to be an NHL goaltender. You just kind of watched him and it was just, so many things you just kind of watch and you're like this guy i don't know there's just something not adding up with this guy in goal yeah and that's the unfortunate thing because he like by the end of the like in both years in chicago and in his last year in vegas you you saw the save percent dip 
five on five. He's heading towards a 0.88. And Chicago in 2020, 2021, it didn't work out. Malcolm Subban's probably just going to get ice in Buffalo for the sole reason that, well, who else they got? Yep. Which uh, is very Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is, man. So we're going to move on from a trade and talk about some brand new jerseys we're going to talk about. The Tampa Bay Lightning and Nashville Predators have both unveiled their 2022 Stadium Series jerseys. Said jerseys will be worn during their game on February 26th at Nissan Stadium, the home of the NFL Tennessee Titans in Nashville. Okay, so I did have a chance to look at these jerseys. I think I've got more comments to make about the Nashville jersey than the Tampa one because the Tampa one, I, it looks fine. Very unimaginative, but I mean, it's fine. Is it a jersey sweater? What do you mean? Does it say jersey? Is this, remember this is our bar for not good jerseys? Okay, no, it's not a jersey sweater. It actually, in fairness, it says bolts on it. However, I think the coloring is kind of cool. It has a like if like the Quebec Nordique had lasted, I could kind of see them going with this kind of color. It's like. A dark blue, a really light blue, and a white. It looks not bad. Yeah, it doesn't look bad. I think it would be a lot better if it had a proper logo. The Predator jerseys, though. Yo, want to smash? I like who fucking writes <laughs> just smash on a jersey? Jesus Christ! You know, I wish that this was a video podcast because Chelsea literally like turned around as soon as you said you want to smash. Yeah, because like, oh my god. I, oh, boy. No. you know, I, I get it. They've got the, the, they got the, the seal of the state of Tennessee there and uh, their nickname Smashville. But, uh, no, 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 I, I'm not a fan. I, you know what? I will give some, like, I'm just going to have a look here because honestly, I don't know. I mean, okay. The blue and yellow. Not a bad color palette. I think if they added some silver to the, to the mix, it would have been okay. You know what it kind of looks like? It kind of looks like a hybrid of like the modern day Ottawa Senator home jerseys, like the black with the red stripe at the bottom with the, oh, the jer- the old jersey style. Remember it had like the yeah. across? It kind of looks like this. Now the guitar pick, that's kind of neat, I guess. The only thing I got to say, if you look at the jersey from the back, out of the corner of my eye, I would have assumed this was a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey. Yeah. It looks just like a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey from the back. And I was like, yeah. Either that or like what I would imagine a Pittsburgh Pirates hockey jersey to look like. No, actually, I think that would be more what a Steelers jersey. Yeah. I'm surprised. Like, you know, and the Penguins have played in all of these stadium. I think they play at Heinz Field where the Steelers play. I'm amazed they've never done anything like that. They've done like a Steelers style hockey jersey for the penguins yeah that's kind of cool yeah now speaking of the penguins and their jerseys now the reason why earlier in this episode i talked about mary lemieux being very vocal about not liking this the pittsburgh penguins have unveiled their new third jersey a throwback to the team's away jersey worn from 1992 to 1997 said jersey is said to be worn during 12 games this season so okay just for those that don't know if you saw the Pittsburgh Penguins reverse retro jersey, 
it was the white jersey that says Pittsburgh down from like the shoulder to the hip. That was an obvious throwback to the jersey they wore in the 90s, except in black. This is what it is. It's just that in black. And it's, I don't mind that jersey. I think for me, because that's when I really first started getting into hockey in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s, and the Penguins wore those jerseys. I understand Mario Lemieux was a very vocal opposite of those jerseys. He never liked it. He didn't like the Robo Pen logo, which is the logo that I assume with the penguins. I don't assume it with the, the skating penguin, but I don't know. It brought back some nostalgic vibes for me, man. Like, you know, the NHL and Fox with Gary Thorne and all those guys when Yager and Lemieux were playing. Also it's the Jersey that Snoop Dogg had at the jitted juice video. It is. Yeah. How could we hate that Jersey? I know. And I, I guess, the reference we can make for more modern hip hop fans is that Mac Miller, the late Mac Miller also wore that. I don't think he didn't wear it in a video. I think he wore it in like a photo shoot or something. You know what Jersey I always kind of liked is I like the, the one they rocked from 97 to 2000 with the stylized penguin. Oh, the Robo pen. Yeah. That thing was cool. I really like those jerseys, the Robo pen jerseys, man. Yeah, especially where they've got the diverging stripe that changes through the logo that reunifies in the in the numbers. Oh, I think I know exactly what jersey you're talking about here. Yeah, that thing is cool. The home jersey. Sorry, the yeah, the black jersey. That's so it's such a smart looking jersey. Holy I shit. Yeah, you, you mean that one? The one from the NHL 2002 cover? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we we I think that we could agree that's a third line plug favorite jersey. Oh, 100%. Like, looks so good. It does. And we can't forget that in Angel 2002, Chef's Kiss on the PC. Yeah. I'm sad that we don't get those ones anymore. That was, yeah, that's what's really sad now, man, is that we don't really get those games anymore on the PC. Because the PC, like I said, the PC ones were always far superior than the console. But 2002 was always so nostalgic just because of the soundtrack, which was all Canadian bands. You had Treble Charger... Some 41 in gob. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Pittsburgh, that's the thing with Pittsburgh is there's not a lot of bad jerseys in Pittsburgh's history outside of the baby blue. Yeah. The baby blue ones were not good, but I think some of the stadiums are series ones are just kind of meh. But I think at the, the Jersey that they historically have always worn, even the more modern jerseys now, like not so much with like the black and gold, like the black in like the more metallic gold that they wore yeah. when Cosby first arrived in Pittsburgh. I actually really like those too. Although, you know, a lot of bad memories attached to those jerseys when they used to play Ottawa, but that's not the point, Tim. No, no. So we got a couple of suspensions we got to talk about. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchant was suspended three games for slew footing. Vancouver Canucks defenseman Oliver Ekman Larson. Marshawn, who also forfeited $91,875 in salary, had recorded nine goals, 15 assists for 24 points in 18 games for Boston this season. Kind of screwed me in fantasy this week because he got injured, but, or sorry, he got suspended. But I also got a reason to play Tim Stutzla, and he got me three points, so. Nice. We take that, we take that. But yeah, Brad Marshawn, I'm surprised that he's not getting more games just because he is a a repeat offender and b slew foots are so 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 dangerous they are and this is a thing that he really really 
gotten a lot of trouble for early in his career because he was known for slew footing a lot of players. And the fact is that for so many years, he got away from doing that. Right. And I think that's when a lot of people started looking at him and being like, Hey, he's a really good hockey player when he gets away from trying to injure guys. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I'm glad I think for Marshawn in particular, he should be getting longer suspensions at this point. I don't care that he's a star. He can't be going out there trying to injure people every night. No, but the fact he doesn't do this every night, though. Maybe that's, that's why true. They, they didn't give us a... Maybe that's why they only gave him three games, right? Perhaps, but at the same time... He's a repeat maybe, offender. He's a repeat offender. Maybe there's a reason he gets gloves thrown at him. That was funny, though. That was kind of funny. <laughs> and, because I think... What was it? Somebody asked uh, uh, Artemi Panera. He goes, what? I get paid $11 million. You think I care about one glove? Yeah, that's such a that's a buddy quote. God damn. Somebody should make that a quote. You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's a Twitter account. I think it's called at make it a quote. Somebody should make that into a quote. I'd pay for it. Yeah, me too. So we're going to close out top of the hour by talking about an Ottawa Senator story. Now, of course, on last week's episode, Tim, we were talking about Brendan Lemieux and Brady DeChuck's incident during the game last week. Yep. Los Angeles Kings forward Brendan Lemieux was suspended five, excuse me, five games for biting Ottawa Senators captain Brady DeChuck. Lemieux is not a repeat offender. That last line surprises me. Yep. I thought he would have done something to get his ass suspended by now. Same. It's nuts. I think what's also crazy, Tim, and, you know, we, we talked about Brady DeChuck, his outburst after the game on last week's episode. Did you happen to see the Gilbert Gottfried reading of that? Oh, somebody on cameo paid Gilbert Gottfried to read that out. And it it is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Except for the fact he doesn't know how to say to Chuck. I think he says to Kachuk. I think that's how he says to Chuck. Okay. But yeah, he literally, he's like, this guy is such a brickhead. Like he just went through the whole thing. And I was just like, this is awesome. Well, can you imagine, like, you don't have to imagine it, but it's like the ang- the indignant Gilbert Gottfried voice is perfect for that. Oh, my God. I wish people would pay more celebrities on Cameo to read quotes like that. Like, honestly, yeah. there's a, There should be a market. Like, what's, like, a big quote for, like, 20 years ago was the Allen Iverson we talking about? Practice. Yeah. Practice. Who would you pay? Okay, on Cameo, who would you pay money to hear say that whole thing note by note? Gilbert Gottfried is... It's just on the top of my... Because it would be hilarious, but it wouldn't... I'm trying to think there's someone better. Maybe Howard Stern would sound per, like just funny. Like, you know how he can just get like on his high horse indignant? What about Nathan Lane? Nathan Lane would be a good one. Nathan Lane would be good. It's a shame that he's no longer with us, but Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald, yeah, he'd be good. F- Phil Hartman. Oh, <laughs> Phil Hartman would have been great as Troy McClure. Yes, I would have paid to see that happen. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with Norm McDonald. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. What about Frank Kellyendo as John Madden? <laughs> Okay, okay. 
Yeah, that's good. That's some good stuff, Tim. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which you mean only one thing. So I'm trying to talk about some games. Now we got three games to talk about. We've got the Canucks versus the Senators, Sens versus the Hurricanes, and the Avalanche versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Canucks versus the Senators. This is a 6-2 to two Canucks victory. Holy shit. Canucks goals were scored by Tanner Glass, Tyler Mate, Luke Shen, Bo Horvat, Alex Chason, and JT Miller. Sens goals were scored by Adam Goddett, Brady Chuck. Shots were 35-25, for fuck's sakes. You know what? I'm not even going to put any effort into this, Tim, because honestly... They didn't either. Yeah. Now, this would be kind of the segment when I would go through game notes and all that stuff. I just I can't do it. I just cannot do it. Because you know what, Tim? I've been a fan of this team since 2005. Yeah. I've seen them at their best. And I thought I saw them at their worst. I did something that night when the game was going on. I have never done in the five season we've done this show. I watched the first five minutes of this game and turned it off. I've never felt so embarrassed watching a hockey game in my life than watching this game. Yeah. I just... I... I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't even at that point. I just, I literally sat here and watched it. And my first thought was Jesus Christ. The Ottawa centers couldn't have done it better to give the Canucks the lead. Like what defense is it where you get the puck and you chip it back? Isn't the point of the point on defense. If you get the puck, you're supposed to chip it the other way over the blue line to the other end of the ice. Yeah, it was a uninspired, discordant effort the whole way through. Like, yeah, I think that's probably one of the... I can't... The only game that I think of that might have been worse to watch was the one of the matinee games against Pittsburgh in the 2017 playoffs where Ottawa just never showed up. And I turned that one off at halftime. I just, no, I, I just couldn't do it. I really could not do it, man. I, like I said, I l- sat here for five minutes and turned it off. That was a moment I just said, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and that's the thing. This is something you could have thought of from last year's sense team. But the thing was, we actually have talent on this team. We've got Tim Stutzler. We've got Brady, Batherson, Josh Norris, Shabbat, Gustafson. Like, what was going on in that game? Like, Victor Mete in the first 90 seconds got j- turned out of his jock. Yep. By Connor Garland, of all people. I honestly, I have nothing to say about this game because I entirely put it out of my memory. Uh, the only thing I could say is, Adam Gaudet's first goal 
as an Ottawa center came in his first game. It was a pretty nice passing play yep. to be perfectly honest. However, Adam Gaudet's first game as an Ottawa center was complete garbage. The guy got turned out of his jock on said Connor Garland goal where Met, like Mete got turned out of his jock and there was no forward support for him. Nope. And on the second goal, he just handed the puck right to, uh, yeah, the second goal, I think he just handed the puck right on to uh, Elias Pedersen. I think Trevor Shackles put it best. He says, if Luke Shen scores on your team, you should just fold the franchise. Pretty much. And Luke Shen made it look fucking easy. Like that, that was a pretty goal scorer's goal, but it was allowed to happen because he had all the ice in the world. Oh, good fucking Lord. So yeah, I've got nothing. I'm, I put no effort into this. I didn't, I condensed watch some of it. Like, what do you want me to sell you? I, I really don't know what to say. But the only thing I can say, Tim, and you know, right before the break, we were talking about who would we get on Cameo to do sports press conference moments. And I mentioned, what about Frank Caliendo as John Madden? I actually found this on YouTube. So Frank Caliendo, for you, those who don't know, he was a cast member on the show Mad TV back in the 1990s. He worked on Monday Night don't think he worked on Monday Night Football. He worked for the NFL on Fox with Bradshaw and all those guys. So he's a really good impressionist. And again, John Madden, he's very famous for doing John Madden. Charles Barkley. There's so many people he does. And one of the people he does is Morgan Freeman. So on a show down in the States called Mike and Mike, Frank Caliendo as Morgan Freeman recited the Allen Iverson practice. I'm going to play this real quick and then we're going to segue into the second game because honestly, I just feel this is too good not to bring it up. So this is about a minute 16. So here we go. But what are we talking about, man? What are we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. incredible. Hey, I love this dude. That's awesome. When you come to the arena, do you see me play? You see me play, don't you? You see me give everything I got, right? Are we oh my God. About practice now? We're talking about practice. Man, look. I hear you. It's funny to me, too. I mean, it's strange. It's strange to me, too. But we ain't talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game. Actual game. When it matters. We're talking about practice. (laughs) Pick up your favorite... Like, what's funny is... That Martin, the freaking Morgan Freeman voice manages to capture just the pure cadence of Alan Iverson in that moment. And it's kind of incredible. He totally did. And it's funny because 
Caliendo was on the Howard Stern, Howard Stern show, and he did a number of his impressions. He did Al Pacino. He does a spot-on Al Pacino impression, which is very hard. He does, like, a both Godfather and, like, Sensible Woman Al Pacino, which is fantastic. Yeah. You'll have to look that up. While the listeners are doing that, Tim, let's talk about the second game of the evening. Sens versus Hurricanes. This is – wait a minute. Ah, fuck. I think there might be a typo in my notes here, Tim. It actually says it says we won this game. Yes, yeah, somehow. 3-2 Senators. Sens was scored by Alex former Tim with two and Josh Norris. Hurricane scores was scored by Teo Turavainen and Andre Shostakov. Shots were 49-20 for Carolina. Carolina outplayed Ottawa throughout the game. Carolina started the game playing a structured game, which resulted in them greatly outshooting the Senators, which continued throughout the game. Ottawa overall didn't play poorly to start and were on the right side of puck lock as they got the bounces going their way as they were able to finally pick up a W. So let's talk about the man of the hour in this game. Anton Forsberg. 47 saves. A point eight nine sorry nine five nine save percentage. He ties the franchise record. Stole. Stole this game. Remember, Carolina got almost 50 shots in this game. And they were good shots, too. They were right in front. Like, Ottawa had nothing going. Absolutely nothing going for large parts of this game. Until Alex Formatin puts on the fucking Jets. That was a nice goal, that first one, though. Well, even the tip was a very nice goal, too. I know the, I know it's funny because that second goal, it didn't even look like he knew it went in. It was just like, oh shit, it went in. Sweet. Yeah, no, it's Ottawa finally got some puck luck. Like there was definitely games like the one against Anaheim in particular, where Ottawa deserved a much better fate. The game against San Jose, Ottawa deserved a better fate and just didn't get it. Yeah. This is a game where Ottawa did not deserve to win, but they got every weird bounce going their way. And to be fair, like Ottawa did get like 30 some shots. So it's not like, Oh, we got 20. Sorry. We only got 20. Fuck. I thought we got 30. No. Like we did get some good scoring chances. Anti Ranta did not like the poor guy just didn't have much time to work. I think in the first period, I think they had almost like 20 shots or something in that period. alone. Yeah. It was something dumb. It was crazy. Now, the one thing I said about Alex Formanton, and I don't know if you have this in your notes too, Tim, is that Ennis Formanton, Chris Tierney. That line looked pretty good, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, like they were able to just get the puck going the right way down the ice very frequently. And it was almost refreshing to watch Ottawa's checking and fourth lines activate. Well, and it's interesting because honestly, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I thought that the top line didn't really show in this game, to be perfectly honest with you. I would say for the first two periods, I agree. Third period, however, the Norris Kachuk line shows up to play. So things get really jittery after about five minutes left in the game. Forsberg lets into the first goal. And very quickly after that, he lets in the second. And then Brady Kachuk 
Batherson and Norris get on the horse, get one back, and then Brady Kachek probably plays what I would say is maybe one of his best defensive periods ever. And like that top line is able to shut down Carolina on six on five, get the puck out and run out the clock. It is frankly, some of the best late game, sorry, not some of it is the best late game defensive work we have seen from the Ottawa senators this season. And by that, it was just, all of a sudden, like a lot of the qualms that I had with the Ottawa Senators, their lack of structure, lack of a game plan in the defensive zone, it all seemed to melt away. This is a team that knew that it, if it just kept playing, if it, if it committed to being where it needed to be at the right time, it would close out the game and it showed they did. Like this game, like Anton Forsberg white knuckled this game for two periods, but thankfully the Ottawa Senators showed up when it mattered. They did. And we finally snapped our losing streak too, which is awesome. Yeah. And here's the thing. This was a really hard game to watch because like, it is never fun to watch a team like 50 shots. That means there's two periods where one team is just getting absolutely smorked on. It's true. I mean, really, and I don't really have any notes on the game itself. I mean, the only note I can really mention is just how loud the Hurricane fans really are down in Carolina. And it's yep. great because Carolina is definitely known to be a college sports state when you really think about it. And the Hurricanes, and I think they mentioned it in the broadcast too, that Carolina, the Hurricanes are really in an interesting position because it's kind of a sports team for everybody. Because especially in Raleigh, I believe that Raleigh's in... North Carolina, North Carolina because they got the Tar Heels. Yeah, where Michael Jordan played, they had the Tar Heels. Yeah, South Carolina. You got all like the college sports in North Carolina and the South Carolinas as well. And so the Hurricanes, you don't really have to have any affiliation to any school or any kind of college program. You can enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, and it's good hockey. It is, but man, Carolina deserved better this game. They played their heart out. And this is another team that has been on a bit of a slump lately. And it's not for a lack of effort on Carolina's part. We're talking about a team that has been almost completely unable to score. And I want to say they're on a three or four game losing streak themselves, which is kind of impressive for one of the best teams in the NHL right now, Mm -hmm. just from a pure team building and pure team build standpoint. The Carolina Hurricanes, they they did right the ship after this game against Ottawa, where they absolutely destroyed the Buffalo Sabres. But the other thing about Ottawa here is remember, this game wasn't was barely 24 hours after the absolute drubbing at the hands of Vancouver. They and they went from Ottawa to Raleigh pretty much immediately after getting their butts handed to them come out really slow in the first period. And Mm -hmm. Anton Forsberg pulls this out of his hat. It's incredible. And you know, these are the kind of moments you need, right? You need your goalie to steal a game or two. And Anton Forsberg was that guy for Ottawa. Yeah. So let's move on to the third and final game of the evening. Avalanche versus Senators. This is a six to five Senators overtime victory. 
Avalanche goals scored by Darren Helm, Gabriel Landeskog, Alex Newhook, Tyler Yost, and Devin Taves. Sens goals scored by Brady with two, including the OT winner, Tim Stutzla, Austin Watson, and Josh Norris. Shots for 31-24 for Colorado. A somewhat even game overall, Ottawa came up flying out of the gate, creating scoring chances for majority of this game, which resulted in the offensive explosion. Colorado kept up with Ottawa in this game as they capitalized on their scoring chances coming back from a 5-2 deficit, but was not enough as Brady Tuchuk gives Ottawa the win in overtime. So before we talk about Tim Stutzla, let's talk about Brady well, Two no, goals. let's talk about Colorado first. Okay. Before this game started, Colorado learned pretty much last minute that they'd be missing Ka- Kale McCarr and Nazem Kadri. So they Colorado lost two massive parts of their team. Yeah. But as opposed to the last game, they got Nathan McKinnon back for this. They game. got Nathan McKinnon back. And you could definitely tell that Ottawa – sorry – Colorado to start this game was out of sorts, despite Darren Helm scoring kind of a softy on Anton Forsberg. Those are the kind of moments you watch and you're just like, oh, goody, it's going to be one of those games, is it? But then on the other head of the ice, remember, Darcy Kemper is out. Frank Cruz has been out all season. So let me let me ask, have you heard of that? Uh, Hanouin or Johansson? No. Yeah, so Colorado's literally playing AHL goalies here. And between Forsberg, who's a career waiver wire guy, and two AHL goalies, we got the goaltending you would kind of expect out of this game. Neither goaltender looked particularly good. Forsberg made some key stops, but at 084 he had a rough night. He did. But honestly, I mean, I can't really even blame him on the goals that were scored, though. The, just, the, just the first Darren Helm one was a bit questionable, but the other ones were just very good shots. The, the Helm one, the Helm one, okay, that one I can kind of see because Forsberg overcommitted to thinking that he was going to get a shot off right away and Helm... Yeah with the patience just sort of waited and then shot it right over him. So that one I can kind of see, but the other ones, I can't really even blame him. No, <laughs> especially some of the lasers from the points from like Devin Taves and the two new hook goals were just beautiful, beautiful things. They were, they absolutely were, man. So one thing I do want to talk about, given that we're going to talk about Colorado, one thing that I do want to mention right here, and I was going to wait until later in the segment, but I want to talk about Thomas Shabbat for a second, two assists and four shots. To me, the guy looked like a really patient. If this was football, he looks like a really patient quarterback playing the West coast offense. Now West coast offense was very short yardage and get the guys running. That's the kind of game he was playing, but I got to give Thomas Shabbat a lot of credit defensively because what's the one thing he did. He shut down McKinnon. He shut down Nathan McKinnon. That was the deciding factor in this game was that he shut Nathan McKinnon down because even though McKinnon had three assists, Nathan McKinnon should have actually buried us in this game. Well, what's incredible is there's, there were about four or five plays that I distinctly remember where Thomas Shabbat not only kept up with Nathan McKinnon, 
but took a step on him, got the stick right in, subtle lift, puck gone. Or Nathan Shabbat was so strong on his skates that Nathan McKinnon was forced into a corner. Shabbat did that six, sorry, four or five times during that game, which very, very few players can do that once or twice to a player of Nathan McKinnon's caliber, let alone pretty much the whole game. It's true. And it would have been nice for Shabbat to score in this game, but you know what? You can't have it both ways. Right. But I thought Thomas Shabbat, he played a great game. And again, this is another game where you definitely see a very patient defenseman back there. Well, I think that's great to see see is an elite defenseman. Yep. And remember Shabbat was on the ice for four of Ottawa's six goals. And even though he didn't get the assists, he was instrumental in setting up multiple of them. Well, I shouldn't say he didn't get the assists. He got two of them at least. Sorry, he got two assists, but he was instrumental in setting up those, setting up a lot of those goals. He was. Just the incredible, one thing that I think that's really incredible about Thomas Shabbat is just his complete ability to take the zone. Yep. And I think part of the reason why Shabbat's zone entries efficiency doesn't look as sterling as say a morgan riley is just he has throughout his career he just hasn't had the quality of skater with him yet and he remember he's doing all of this while he's being sandbagged by nikita fucking zaitsev for this game anyway because usually he would be paired with Artem zub you know what i actually liked holden and zub as a shutdown pairing Mm -hmm. that was a wet blanket that those guys threw down last game in that Colorado game. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And honestly, I didn't, I couldn't really find anybody on the team that I thought was outright bad. Um, well, I'd say, uh, Lassie Thompson had probably his, one of his weaker games as a center, but he still looked decent and he looked good on PP two. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. So let's talk about Brady Chuck. Two goals, one assist for three points on six shots. This guy played a fantastic game, but not only did he play a fantastic game, Tim, I'm, I apologize if I didn't get the gentleman's name who did the play-by-play for this game. That call in overtime. Oh, my God. So good. Like, I know the guy's name. He's the guy that does the – He did the Benino call, right? Yeah, he, the Benito, but he calls games for CBC in Punjabi. Yeah. And I'm really glad to see that he's doing games for this. Cause I think we were relegated to Sportsnet one on this or were we relegated to the Ridger Sportsnet. Yeah. Whatever I it think. was. I thought he played great. I thought he honestly, I thought Brady played great. I thought the play by play guy was great in this game. The I would like to see got stuck with Gary Galley. Like that would have been in, I think if you give him a good color guy, like noodles, that is, star list play by play like yep. he was on it even like see even like a mike johnson and even though i i do prefer noodles color to mike johnson i think a mike johnson even wouldn't be too bad with him no and like that's it's just very it was very calm very well called but at the moments where things were intense the call was there, especially the Brady Kachuk. Kachuk. 
That you just know when Brady Chuck becomes our cover athlete for episode 107, potentially, that's going to be it right there. Oh, that's yeah. That's going to be the opening of the episode. That's it. That's all. Yeah. That's all you need. And man, that second, like the Kachuk goal to finish it off at overtime, that's captain shit. Colorado, like uh, the Colorado players make a terrible pass. Terrible, terrible suicide pass. Brady Kachuk picks it off and that he's off to the races. No one's even close. Yep. And he just buries it. Oh my God. Like the reaction in the in the crowd for that goal, and it really seemed like I don't want to say it was a full building, but it was pretty full for that game. Yeah, no, and it was. And Brady noticed it because on Instagram he made a comment about that, and that was very, very heartwarming to see that Brady DeChuck notices that. Well, like I imagine it'd be very difficult not to notice, especially when you get a crowd roaring like that, and Ottawa comes in and just really sticks it to one of the league's premier teams. Because here's the thing. Ottawa deserved to win this game. 100%. I straight up think that the Ottawa Senators actually slightly outplayed Colorado here. Granted, Colorado is missing Nazem Kadri and they're, miss, they're missing Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. And they're missing... Forget who else. My brain's blanking on uh, their other excellent, excellent defensemen. I think missing. those are the only two that they're missing because their top line was Gerard and Devin Taves. Yeah, I can't think of it. It was just a very tough game for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Bo and Byram. They're missing Byram. Oh, Byram. I noticed that there was a lot of Avalanche fans in the building in Ottawa. I mean, it is one of the league's premier teams. Yeah. They're going to be there. I mean, in fairness, if I wasn't a Sens fan, I probably would be an Avs fan today too, right? Because I grew up loving Joe Sackick, but. And they're just a fun team to watch. I know. And they got nice jerseys too. So what do you think about Tim Stutzler's first goal? Should that be a goal at the NHL? Okay. Let me say this, Tim, because we got to talk about Tim Stutzler with two goals, one assist for three points and three shots. This kid flied. He was flying out there. Now, the first goal. I'm really surprised this counted. 100%. I'm shocked this counted. Because, honestly, I think we saw this earlier this season, and you might know which game I'm talking about. There was a goal that went against Ottawa, and it counted. Yep. The Grunding goal in LA. Yeah. The second goal, though. How old is this kid? 19? Yep. That's a move. That's a veteran move right there. He waits because Tim Stutzler's first reaction is get it off. Yeah. He waits. He pulls back. He sees the defenseman sliding across him. Soon as his head gets out of the way, he takes, takes a shot off. And man, does he bury that thing. Like that shot was an absolute laser top corner after just Ottawa wins the face off, waits, unloads back of the net and that was the end of the night for johansson oh yeah now quick no quick comment about the the stutzla after the game did you happen to see the post game where he had the bike helmet and the glasses no but that was hilarious okay what is your honest thought on this i know it's hilarious but you know a lot of teams do this a lot of teams have wrestling belts so they have something somebody on twitter was suggesting what about a centurion helmet that'd be cool 
That would be awesome. Could you imagine Brady post-game helmet shirtless and just goes, yeah, man, we just went fucking balls to the wall. Oh, that'd be sick. But at the same time, we're already starting to get some wild stuff happening with the Sense team. So in today's broadcast, TSN of the Ottawa Senators versus New Jersey Devils, they have Austin Watson in for the first intermission interview. The dude's topless. Brady with the titty shirt. Brady with the titty shirt. Austin Watson just without a shirt. And that dude is tatted up, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's a very... As as Chelsea's looking behind you, like, what are you talking about, dude? (laughs) Pretty much. Like, I didn't notice a spot on him without a tattoo. Yeah, a lot of hockey players nowadays are are tatted up. Yeah, but like that, that is something else. Yeah. Like, that's not a sleeve. That's a full (laughs) shirt. 100%. Now, given that we're just talking about Austin Watson, let's talk about him for a second. One goal on three shots. Now, I know that you were running the Third Line Plug Twitter account for this game, and I 100% agree with you. Where did he learn to do that? Well, he saw Josh Norris just do it on the previous play. It was like, you know what? I could do that too. He gets a beautiful feed from, I believe, Formanton. It just buries that fucker. Yeah. Oh, like, 100%. No daylight, tape to tape, perfect one-timer. So good. So good. Now, I do want to talk about Josh Norris too. And a goal, an assist for two points on three shots. Can we, on the podcast, give him the nickname Money? Because this guy came through once again in this game. And honestly, somebody on Twitter was mentioning, I think he's quietly on pace for 35 goals this year. Yep. Well, Money is going to get 11. Like, well, at the same time, I- I'm going to veto that one because I've already dubbed Alex Formanton Alex Formanton. Ooh, okay. So I'm sorry, Tay, but money's taken. Okay, but I want to call an audible. Okay. Straight cash. Straight. Okay, we can work with that. Because because we were just talking about Allen Iverson in the practice. Randy Moss, he was an NFL wide receiver. He got, I think he got fined or suspended, somebody in the NFL. And somebody asked him about it. And he goes, yeah, I pay straight cash, homie. <laughs> as he's like leaving the practice facility that's hilarious yeah so straight cash oh my god yeah so i'm just gonna look up because like that's the thing is if the ottawa senders even if this season like they don't make the playoffs this season which is a pretty faint possibility at this point no yep. one gets a 30 goal score at the 22 game mark josh norris has 10 so he yeah. can do it drake batherson and brady kachuk might as well Oh, it's going to be crazy, man. It's going to be nuts. Now, given that you're just talking about... That's a success. Okay. What exactly was the penalty for on that body check? They thought it was a... The ref calling it thought it was a headshot. It was a flubbed call. Yeah, because... Now, keep in mind, I was at work when this happened, so naturally I didn't get a chance to see the full game when it happened. But I saw people on Twitter saying, like, how, what is, like, what is that? That's not a penalty, that's a body check. When's body checking considered a penalty in the NHL? Yeah, no, they, like, the ref initially thought it was a headshot. And you could, like, that's kind of what they called it as. And then... You can't, I guess they decided they can't uncall something. Right. And that's what we got. 
is that the one where I think Ottawa kills that one off? So thankfully mm-hmm. it wasn't a complete cock up, but yeah, that could have been really bad on just a bullshit call. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. But I think uh, in the Carolina game where we we're talking about Ottawa finally getting some puck luck, this is a game where I think Ottawa finally get like both the Carolina game where Ottawa wins a challenge against and a really good offside challenge by DJ Smith in the Carolina game, by the way, uh, the senators get, a, they get two, they get two good challenges in this game. So the challenges are going Ottawa's way. First, the Stutes the goal. Second, they take away a point shot goal that ties up the game in the third. The game gets tied up anyway, but very good call by DJ Smith to challenge on the offside. Yeah, hundred percent. Because honestly, even when I was watching it, my first thought was, "That's offside. That shouldn't have counted." Yep. And then they didn't count it anyway. Well, I remember I was like, "That's offside." And Chelsea's like, "Well, who's the expert here?" I'm like, "God damn it, Chelsea!" You know, you should have been like, "Are you asking me or are you telling me?" <laughs> <laughs> the Andy Sutton classic. So good, so good. It could have been a third on plug cover athlete. Next time. Next time. Well, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game if you want to head off into the close for another evening. I don't. And what's nice is uh, the New Jersey games going into overtime. So the Ottawa Senators have points in three straight games. Yeah, hopefully three. No, three no, wins. No, yeah. no, no jinxes, no jinxes. Knock but on wood. Knock on wood. Ottawa has played, like, they've gotten two wins against two of the teams, premier teams, and the devils are no slouch either. So taking them to overtime is good work. Uh, if this is what the Ottawa senators actually are, and the the month of November was just a bizarre aberration. I, I think uh, we're in good hands. 100%. I think the only comment we can make here, because neither of us have brought it up. What did you think about the Pierre Dorian presser where he finally said, yes, this is on me like this. I'm the one at fault here. I'm glad he did that. It was a little weird that he didn't, they didn't send out the usual courtesy heads up. So uh, two reporters mentioned that Ian Mendez mentioned that in the athletic, as well as uh, Sylvain Saint Laurent and La Droite. It's a little weird, but, and there's an old adage about airing dirty laundry on a Friday afternoon because no one's paying attention. Yep. Saturday morning has to be. The, fr- the hockey equivalent of Friday afternoon for that sort of thing. So it, it seems like they might've been trying to sneak that one by, but at least Pierre Dorian was available. I would like to see him around in front of the microphones more, even if it is Pierre from Orléans. Absolutely. Because I, the guys at Suns call-ups even brought up that point on their last episode was that why is it they're always leaving DJ Smith out to dry yeah. about this? Like, Pierre Dorian doesn't have to go in front of the media. Pierre Maguire, I don't know what he's even done for this franchise since he's been hired. Uh, he's Yeah, he has not been anywhere to be seen. No, like, and they even mentioned that like he, because Pierre Maguire is a very well known hockey personality in the United States, why doesn't he go on, say, XM Radio for the NHL Network and do spots for them? But I guess, I, I guess the thought process possibly is that because he's only he's not the GM, he doesn't fully represent what the team's 
doing. I guess. Um, yo, do you want to invite Pierre McGuire on the show? Sure. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have him on. You have to shoot him an email and oh, tell him he sucks. That I, I've heard that always. Works. I've heard that works. Uh, at least that's what my buddy Dustin said. Do you think we could just find Pierre McGuire's email and ask if he wants to come on the show? Hey, wouldn't hurt to ask, right? I heard you yeah, yeah. bonk. Yeah, no kidding. Let's give her a go. Well, guys, thank you for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to choose an email to remind us that we completely forgot to talk about our previous episode, shoot us an email, thirdlinepluggersensecast at gmail.com. We also forgot to talk about Pride of Orange, but at this point, we'll leave it to next week. That is true, Tim. That is true. And not Agent Orange like I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's such a funny screw up, too. That's so true. So true. Okay, Tim. So for the games of the week, we've got tonight's game versus the New Jersey Devils in New Jersey, which is currently in overtime. Tuesday, we are at home to play the New York Islanders. And Saturday, we are playing our expansion brother and the Tampa Bay Lightning also at home. It's going to be another battery of tough games. Although I, I think next week we get Philadelphia, so that's not too bad. Yeah. Well, we also got to forget the Islanders have been riddled with COVID as well too, right? So. That's true. And they just haven't, they've had a weird season. Yeah. Tampa is going to be a weird one though. Tampa, I think that might be the tough challenge for us right there. Yeah. Well, they're just good. Fair enough. And they've been very good as of late. That is true, man. That is true. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go Sands, guys. Woo!